0: Hello, and Charlie Gladstone here, and welcome to my Mavericks podcast. This is the second edition that I am putting up online from this year's Good Life Experience at Harden in Wales, our festival of music, food, ideas, the great outdoors, and craft in North Wales that Caroline and I co founded and co curate with our friends Karis Matthews and Steve Abbott. Anyway, This is a conversation with James Otter and Dan Kieran, and it took place on the early evening of the Saturday of the Good Life Experience in a packed Speaker's Corner tent in the park at Harden. James Otter is a renowned surfboard and paddleboard maker in Cornwall, and Dan Kieran, who I've interviewed separately for this project, this podcast that is, is the Chief Executive Officer of the amazing, revolutionary, and highly disruptive publisher, Unbound. This was a conversation about the power of making with your hands, and I'm not going to explain much more other than to say I think it's one of the more interesting and engaging conversations that I've had on this podcast. It isn't entirely easy to record with three people, but I hope that we have done it justice. So, without any further ado, here we go. And this is James Otter, who is a surf and paddleboard maker um, who makes traditional um, wooden surf and paddleboards in the West Country, and um, who has expanded his business, if that's the right word, but stretched his business to do residential courses for people who are prepared to invest um a week or so in building a surfboard or a paddleboard which i think slightly shorter
1: Long from scratch longer yeah. from
0: scratch and um if ever there was the definition of someone um and i mean this absolutely sincerely living the dream i think it is james i mean clearly you know living the dream as we all know involves um heartbreak and exhaustion and a lot of dirt okay. Okay, and um, near-financial ruin, but yeah. I mean, okay. that is Here. living the dream. And, and, and of course, that's the thing about, about doing these sort of jobs like you do, is that, you know, all those things come with the territory, but you're free. Um, and Dan Kieran is the chief executive of and founder of Unbound Publishers, who are, um, I, I, I don't know, um, do, do most people know Unbound? Um, An absolutely preeminent online crowd sourcing, crowdfunding publisher, Um, as well as um, an extremely successful author of a number of books, um, including, I think, the massively underrated um, but really very brilliant crap towns. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Right? Yeah. It was. I mean, has anyone seen that book? So it's very interesting. I, I got that book for Christmas, and I kind of put it in the downstairs loo, and. About two years later, I started reading it, and it's really unbelievably good. I think it almost did a disservice to...
2: Uh well, I met John Harris recently, and he said, you did crap towns. Brexit's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, but There was a sort of, as ever, as ever with something like that, there was kind of tiny micro bit of truth in it, which is we did go around all the worst towns and met all the people, and we heard all the complaints, which we now hear in the news that we're not listening to. So it was... Um, kind of cry for help. It was kind of interesting. I mean, it was a bit like Rotten Burrows in Private Eye. It was funny, but there was kind of... Seasons. No, but it was it
0: was also warm. Anyway, I mean, let's not get bogged yeah. down about that, but it was a warm book, I think. Yeah, you no, know, no, no, it it was very very elegant and, elegant and sort of beautiful book, book. But anyway, um, to sort of cut to the chase, um, about this time last <laughs> year, uh, Dan published his book called The Surfboard, um, which he was kind enough to send me an advance copy of, and... By pure chance, I was at that sort of rare moment when I was between books. So I picked it up and I read it and I absolutely loved it. And um, if I'm really honest, I think I probably did. It probably wasn't something that I thought I was going to love, but but um, I really did love it. And what I loved about it was um, Dan's extraordinary sort of candidness, which is, is comes through in the book very much, is... Um, his his ability and desire to kind of be straight and honest about the things that were difficult in his life but also the fact that a huge amount of personal development and healing went on in the course of five days that he was simply with James making a surfboard And, um, and that to me was incredibly resonant because I think there are two interesting sides to this And by the way, this isn't a lecture by me. I'm going to interview them in a minute. But it won't be as (laughs) interesting. It it, it was was, was incredibly powerful to me to see not just the man who had dedicated his life to making things with his hands and who clearly understood the value of that, but somebody else's life being, I don't think it's too strong a word, transformed by making something with his hands. And... um, I think that kind of leads me really to my first question, which is, here we are a year later, and uh, incidentally, um, both Dan and James are very keen to point out that you know they're not trying to push anything here, but I want to start by asking them about your latest venture, which is actually a joint venture um, doing just this. So James, do you want to tell us about where you're at you 2 now?
1: Yeah, so um, like you've touched on, thank you, Charlie, um, the experience that Dan went through with the five days with, with, with me, was um, it, it kind of connected to a part of him that I don't think you really expected, um, no, definitely. And, um, and it's one of those moments where he kind of just didn't realise the, the effect that just having the mental space that you get and the physical kind of motion of making something can give you, and so what we started to reflect on early this year was actually from the book and how he explored that, how can we help other people explore the same thing? Um, Without, right, okay. without having to come and make a, make a full surfboard. How do we explore the, the theories in what Dan went through, but also connect them to making. So we've started to try and look in, into a way of creating a like a two, two and a half day course with us where we kind of look after you, but also you're going to be making and you're going to be connecting things in your mind through the help of Dan to put those pieces together. Um, so if you're feeling a little bit kind of stuck and a little bit like you're not really sure of your direction, it's okay. It's kind of like a reset button really.
0: So 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 that that's interesting. I mean, what, can explain to me what you mean so I turn up as it were on, let's say for sake of argument Friday evening Yeah. You know what will I, what, what will I have done by Monday morning or Monday lunch Yes
1: yeah so um, in those couple of days you'll have from the, the bare bones point of view you'll have made yourself a beautiful belly board um, through, our, through tuition from me um, and then through that process we've kind of noticed there's a lot of um, similarities in actually the, the, the mental benefits that come with it Um, So we broke down the process of making a belly board, and a lot of it comes away with kind of cutting away the unnecessary Well, okay, there's an immediate relation to that in terms of the way that we deal with our lives In actually let's focus on the shit that matters and then and then it's okay. How do you refine it? Okay, and then we look at we kind of just draw those parallels through to the point where you're like right here are the tools to take forward and now you you've also got this physical thing that you Can't deny exists, and that's because of your influence, right? So it's okay. kind of drawing those parallels. So, so
0: are, are the two of you, as it were? I mean, I suppose you know, we what we have here is the sort of maker and, and the writer, mm. um, you know, the craftsman and the intellect, as it were. Are you both? <laughs> no, <but that's> right. <laughs> yeah. how else do you characterize that? I mean, no, I, that I think sense. you know, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I think. Are you both taking people through the whole journey together, Dan? Yeah, I mean, the
2: idea is that you build a board and you rebuild your mind. And that's kind of what I learned when I spent time with James. Because, for me, it's really interesting hearing James Sills just speaking about you're told when you're young that you can't do certain things. And I'm really fascinated in um, neuroplasticity and the idea that you can change the way your brain structure. And I did CBT for Fear of Flying course. And in that, the way they explain CBT is that If, like I did, you spend 20 years thinking you're scared of flying, you basically create neural pathways in your mind that make you think that more and more. So it actually changes the structure of your brain to believe that you're scared of flying. And the analogy he drew was that your brain is like a cornfield. And when you first have an idea about yourself, it's like you walk through the cornfield and you make an indentation in the ground. If you spend 20 years thinking that thought, it becomes a motorway and your neurons hurtle down that motorway every time you have any connection with anything around that idea, so in my case, fear of flying. So what CBT does is it basically turns that motorway back into a cornfield, but the way it does that is you have to start walking in a different direction. So my learning with James when I built the surfboard was because I'd been told by an art teacher that I wasn't the kind of person that could make things with their hands when I was about 14. So that just became something I accepted. So that became a motorway in my mind about how I define myself. And when I went to see James, he was like, that isn't true, I can teach you how to build one of these boards, which was utterly laughable. The the day before I went to see him, I built a barbecue from Homebase, and I broke it. I mean, I broke three of the four wheels. I mean, literally, it was just like, I was just a shorthand for for incompetence with my hands. But what James showed me was basically how to get rid of that, the motorway of assuming I couldn't build anything. And he helped me walk the first path through that cornfield. And then by the end of the, the week, I mean, I don't know if any of you do, but I've had lots of anxiety and depression and mental health problems in my life. And no matter what I achieve, there are always mornings where I'm really able to dismiss what I've done. Yeah, i built a business. Yeah, I've written all these books. but. I was lucky, and it was just, you know, fortune, and I met the right person, and lots of people don't have that. So it's really easy to dismiss what you do and who you've become. So, but it's really hard to dismiss the idea that you can make something when you've got a seven fucking foot surfboard in your house that well, you can fall over. You know, the physical, it's a physical manifestation of my ability to do something I didn't believe I could do. And so the idea of the course is that you will build a board But you will also start to challenge those preconceptions because I didn't just spend 20 years telling myself I couldn't fly. I also told myself over 20 years things like, fundamentally, I'm not worth loving. You know, I'm not the kind of, you know what I mean? There are some really deep-seated things. And when you start to realize the way the brain is structured, that all these things you've told yourself are just who I am, or that's just the way I am, or I'm not the kind of person that can X, Y, and Z, those are those motorways that you have built yourself. And so what we want to do really is help you challenge those. So it doesn't matter if you you maybe you believe you can build a belly board, it's just we're going to take you through how those two things are analogous. Because once you realise that, for me, um, building a board with James was a doorway into building things with my hands, yes, but it also challenged every other preconception I have. And I've now just listened to James Sills. I'm now thinking, yeah, well, I'm going to do the singing one, because I was in a school play once, and I had to do a solo, and it was a disaster. And I've never sung since. So that's another motorway I've got about singing. So that, I'm just interested in that. I think we all have these things. Um, and there's something about making, creating a physical manifestation, of the, which is the evidence so, I mean, that really this really excites I think,
0: I, I think that you're, in a weird way, doing a disservice to actually what James does, because I I would argue that not everyone can do that. He possibly just found in you the ideal, you know, the ideal client, as it were. And I I think, I mean, James, I'm intrigued by this because I, 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 you know, as you may guess, um, being someone who curates the craft here, I'm 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 not a maker myself, but I believe massively passionately in the, in the, in, in provenance, however we define it. But, but I, I don't think that everyone, you're very dismissive of, of, of the kind of difficulty of doing this in the book. James, do you think that everyone can make something or will there be people who come to your course probably have an amazing time, but actually kind of just go, I, I, I can't do this? Because I think there are things we can't do. I mean, I'm comp- I cannot remember street names however hard I try. And, and, and I think that just our, all of us do have bits of our brain that are,
1: you know, switch off. D- Dan just said, tell them tell him about the guy who nearly screwed up. Like There are people who come to us who, they'll openly admit that they can't make things. Like, Dan came in on the Monday morning and went, I screwed up this barbecue yesterday, I'm not going to be able to do this. And I'm like, just let's do the first bit. And it's a case that I know and I trust the process so much, and we limit the courses to a certain amount of people so that I can be pretty vigilant on keeping an eye on everyone, to the point that, they start to just feel comfortable and that's really what it's about for me is actually getting people to build their confidence over the five days that's for me that's the real reward that I never kind of foresaw when I first started teaching people was actually you can take people who don't believe in things and and open their minds to the fact that they can do things and we've like, there's one chap who came to us um, a number of years ago and he'd been a bit, for want of a better word, prickly on email contact beforehand and I thought how, who's this? You know, I don't yeah. see them until Monday morning they turn up and I've got to spend five days with them How, how's this going to go and the and he, first thing he comes through the door he says by the way I don't surf um, so I don't know what a surfboard needs to look like and, um, and my wife puts the shelves up at home I'm rubbish with my hands and I, I, I've started now I kind of rub my hands at that point because I'm like brilliant I'm going to see the most progress from someone like yes. that which, is, which for me is incredible to be able to put that into people and the end of the week you know he kind of there was a moment um, my wife walked in and, and said to him oh wow look at what you've made and it was a real moment of like shit I've done this yes. and that that moment he just he, you know he kind of had to take himself away and have a few minutes because it was that realization yes that I, I so, so a, a, a couple, I mean my, my, the first question is
0: I, I think I'm intrigued by your methods of teaching so I, I mean clearly you know a, a student is only as good as a teacher, and. I think that you're um clearly cut out to be a maker but also a teacher. It what is your method of teaching? Is it is it's I mean you know I have a, a humorous view on this in the book where you appear just to let him do whatever he wants and it turns out <laughs> fine. But I mean you're you're one of those teachers I think who who gives guidance and then steps right back. Is that right?
1: Yeah, completely. yeah. So yeah. um I, I remember at school, especially in the creative subjects, that feeling of a teacher looking over your shoulder was the worst thing ever. So I'm very conscious of those kind of things when I'm in the workshop. I try and I will always guide, I'll always kind of notice what's going on, or try to, um, but just nudge people down the road because I've always felt, especially with hand tools, people feel uncomfortable with them. And if they can figure out a way to feel comfortable, they'll just be more effective. So actually, you've got to just let them have the space to do that and explore it. <laughs> and with with the way that we've built our process, there's there's elements where you can go a certain amount wrong to learn those things. Um, so, but I keep an eye on them make sure and make sure people don't over you know overstep the line. Basically, but so so, do you think that is is that uh, is that is the way to teach craft? Is it? Uh, it were I. Uh, I never set out to be a teacher, um, I, I think it's just it's natural because I like people mm. um, and I want to see them kind of grow, that, that that's what drives me um, and whether that's the right or wrong way, I think there's so many ways to do so many different things, I, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do anything, so um, it works for me and it so seems you like, to work can for I just, people um, like Dan. Can I just spool right back and ask mm. you a little bit
0: about how you c- came to be a maker? Because I'm not sure that I I know I don't know I don't know that story I don't think what what you know what what at what point
1: did this become your thing, um, it's funny I've been you you've touched on something I felt like because there's so many makers here I've been wondering how I'd feel being on stage talking about making but not being making here, <laughs> um, and I talked through it again with my wife yesterday and I said. I don't know how I feel, like, do, you know, I'm, uh, it's the whole imposter syndrome thing, like what's going on? Um, and she said, but you've always made things. Like, I, I, I couldn't remember a day that I that I haven't kind of just, that's what I feel like I need to do. Um, there right. was no one moment where I went, this is it. There was with making surfboards, but I was already making things. The making right, okay. element, the using my hand was something that I just connected to. And, as a, and, and, and did someone kids?
0: teach you to do to do that, not specific tasks, but someone... Did you have a mother or father
1: who was a maker? Or uh, so I had um, one grandfather who was who was a farmer who was a full kind of believer in a steward of the land, which for me was the environmental side of where I come from. And then my other um, grandfather was a was a carpenter but a complete perfectionist as well. Like he'd mow the lawn, then he'd come back in and get a pair of scissors and go around and get the bits he missed. <laughs> like he was. And that was just cutting the lawn. Like that was his whole life. I'm like that, so I got... yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But to in see those ways. kind of <laughs> yeah to see those examples, just kind of I think that instilled in me um, just just that uh, that so eye As, for as, and, a, and that as care. a young
0: child and as a teenager, you
1: would be making what sort of thing? Uh, Walking stick, like I remember having an obsession with sticks as a kid. I'd like, we would trying to find the right walking stick. I'd carry bundles of them home. Mum would be like, You can take one and then we're going to leave it outside the back door. So we'd end up with a stack outside the back door, but I'd have my favorite one. And so there, I think there was just always this. I, I just objects just intrigued me um, and and I think I was lucky enough then you know going through school I kind of just followed the creative subjects and and then went on to study make designing and making and it just lucky was the one thing school school do me. Yeah, that, 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 that allowed the that case. yeah 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 yeah, yeah. We, we might talk
0: about that a bit later I think in the discussion the kind of the education of, <laughs> of making but but so um, and then okay so fast forward you were making surfboards and you have a you know a, a beautiful little business um, t- tell us a little bit about that now, uh, not, not so much the course bit, but the, the surfboard making business.
1: Yeah, so um, so yeah, for, for me it was a case where I was I was kind of designing and making furniture and I was working with some timber framing companies and I, I always connected to wood as a material personally. I think all of us do anyway, you walk past a wooden chair or a wooden table you can't help but touch mm. it um, and that just kind of resonated with me and then I love surfing as well, I love the ocean and the beach and that kind of whole environment and culture, so actually bringing the two together was just kind of for me it just felt perfect when I first had that moment of like I need to do this it was just like it, it was like the the fire got lit and then I followed it and then I'd made that first circle and I was just like this is what I need to do right regardless of everything else in my life I'll keep doing this yeah um and, and I feel incredibly lucky how, to how have did you had
0: come that. to the, what, what where did the inspiration for doing courses come I mean, obviously uh, you're a people person which is hugely helpful. Yeah. But, um, where did that... Where? Did, yeah. How did that idea arise? Um,
1: it's interesting. I had a conversation with a, with a chap last week and we were talking about how the kind of stereotypical maker is alone in their shed or alone in their woods or alone in their workshop or whatever and that, you know, they're making things and then they're putting a lot of themselves into it and then they're just giving it to somebody else and it's a really strange relationship that you yes. have with this object that you then... Um, kind of have to let go and coming to come to terms with it and I think um, I was in that I was heading down that route and then a chap came to me and he said I love everything that you do but I kind of want to make one myself and it was then exploring that that I I ended up connecting to him and that's when I went ah there's something bigger than just making something yes and that's the special thing that's the that's the thing that really excites me
0: how how absolutely wonderful to be um, sort of you know doing the, these two things, both of which you're clearly exceptionally good at, and, and making you know putting bread on the table with them. I mean, what's intriguing is that this relationship between you two has blossomed. And Dan, I think from what we're hearing, I mean, you had no, you, you thought you absolutely you couldn't make things all of your life, right? I mean, literally. My wife, Isabel, she doesn't. has the tools.
2: I don't have any tools.
0: If anything needs to be done in the house, I
2: get handed the baby while that <laughs> stuff happens. But since, um, since building the surfboard, I don't feel like that anymore. Like, if something comes up, I don't immediately think I can't do it. I may not always do the DIY, because Isabel loves it, but you know, there, I have done things since, which I would never have normally even contemplated doing. Right. So it's kind of released that in me. Now, I don't, I'm not making things in my shed. Um, but it's just, it's kind of, I don't know, it's a weird, hard to describe it, it's just kind of unlocked that. So, um, I think what it does is, it's, I think it is about confidence, I think that's exactly right. And you're kind of, you have, everyone has a kind of base level of confidence, and I think when you make something, it increases your base level of confidence, so that when other things happen in your life, you've kind of, you've increased something that's actually fundamental to your life, even if it isn't specifically related to the thing that you've made. Um, and uh, there's all kinds of uh, all kinds of ideas as to why that might be, but I think, I mean, I watched it today. My two kids, me and have made the um, stools, the wooden stools. And at the beginning, I mean, I'm walking into it. I mean, they're totally confident because they're young and they don't see a world full of things they can't do. Um, and I was a bit like, wow, you know, I wouldn't have thought of doing that when I was nine or them. And at the beginning, you know, Olive, who's nine, has got a drill in her hand. and I'm like, oh, oh my god. Um, by the end. <laughs> the guy is like got his hand on it and he's looking over there while she's drilling a hole and then getting the other one to put the screws in so
0: i wonder how much of that yes. as an adult is this idea of kind of being embarrassed of being the worst in the room at something i mean that's something that i you know that i right. have i kind of you know i i i I'm slightly getting beyond it but you know i don't want to do it because i'm going to be the worst yeah and, i mean is that was that something that you felt yeah I mean, I mean every day with
2: james i'd take him to one side and say has anyone ever screwed up? And he was like, and then he said, no. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I'm going to be the first one. Yeah, no, and then, not, and then not, he yeah. said to me, only one person has nearly screwed up. And I was like, really? Really? He said, yeah, he was a carpenter. <laughs> that just completely floored me. And, and James said, you know, he was too familiar with the tools. He came at it with a mindset based around his, i well, talking with the same yeah. you said to me. Yeah. It, and that was a massive moment for me because it made me realise that the expert that I thought had, I had something they didn't have which was a kind of, nov, that kind of novice I'm, you know, in this interest in running a business I, one of my rules of running a business is never be afraid to be the most stupid person in the room like the gap between what you understand and what someone says is where you get screwed so I'm always very open about what I don't understand and it made me realise the value of that because when you walk into James' workshop you know, you, know, you can't cheat. That's no, no, why making that's is so right. extraordinary. Yeah. You can yeah. cheat. It's the same as surfing, like yeah. I discovered when you gave me a lesson recently. <laughs> um, that, and that's the meaning. Like, that's what's so extraordinary.
0: So can you talk to us a little bit about, I mean, you've spoken about, I think, the, the joy and the, and the excitement of actually making this big thing. What, what else was it during that week that the making thing revealed to you? What, what, what were the moments? I mean, I, I, I think, for example, you do talk about knowing when your hands are making a good, I think when you're planing it, is that right? You, you know, yeah, you, yeah. So talk, talk to us about those sorts of things that came to you.
2: There, were, so there, there was kind of a moment, um, I'm always interested, I love slow travel as well, because you get the same thing. There's a moment when you travel properly, and you kind of step through time, like suddenly you're, you realise you're inhabiting your consciousness in a different way you get it in all kinds of things, you get it to parent, you get it when you're running, you get it I think they're like flow states, um, which I'm a huge fan of. And there was a moment in the workshop where James told me had to cut something, and I it was very early on, and I turned round to ask him which of the chisels I should use on this bit of the wood, and he got. And he literally left the workshop with <laughs> buddies off. And I was like oh my god (laughs) and I mean there's like there are a lot of chisels right Um, and I'm looking at what I've got to chisel and I'm thinking so I take it up to the wall and I find the right chisel and I get and before I know what I'm doing I'm not freaking out with my definition of I can't do it I'm just trying Mm -hmm. I'm giving it the respect of my attention and I'm not like in the fetal position in the loo sobbing because that would be ridiculous. So I've actually forcing myself to engage with it and I think that, was, that for me is the, is the why making and why these things are so important because you have to give them the respect of your own time. One of my, one of my things that came out of the book was there's a word called autotelic and it's someone that does something purely for its own sake and that was why it was important to me that I didn't surf. Um, because I wanted to make it for the sake of making it. So that moment, when I put that chisel back on the wall, I remember I remember coming back thinking, I'm, I'm now inhabiting the space I'm taking up in this workshop. Like, before I was like a chair, I was just taking up space, but now I'm actually inhabiting the space. And then I had like a kind of pathway. You know what it's like when you do something new? As soon as you get a path, you're like, OK, I don't have to know where I'm going. I just have to know the next one step, one step. And, and that's where he said, brilliant, because He's just kind of nudging you. Kind of I think, pushing
0: you. I mean clearly there's something um, massively uh, zeitgeisty about about the, you know, what you guys are doing together and I and, and I'm I, I'm really loath to use phrases like, you know, why is it that um, making is now so much you know, in you know, why is it becoming so big again? Because in fact I think it's just the same size. We just may be communicating about it. But but why do you think it is, James, that making is having a moment? Do you have a theory on that?
1: Good point. Um, no, because I think... Uh, I, I have no idea because I, I think it's within all of us. Because I think, essentially, as humans, we evolved to, to, to be creative. Like, that was part of why we were successful. So actually, it's a fundamental human thing to make things. Um, do you think why I mean, it I suddenly got a resurgence? My, my, why my it's people should, like you helping you know. It.
0: Well, I, yeah. My theory is that I think post two thousand and eight, when the crash hmm. happened, that there's something in those of us who wanted to retreat from that, that is taking us kind of back to basics, hmm. and, and, and and that is where, you know, it's most maligned. That's where the kind of hipster thing has come from. But but actually, we shouldn't criticise that because you know the thought patterns are right there. Yeah, authenticity. It's, it's, yeah. It's care do you think i mean so dan i mean do you think do you think that's right because i think it it would have been unusual 10 years ago or so to to have a sort of gathering like this full of people sitting at seven o'clock at night or whatever it is you know talking about making i mean it doesn't mean we weren't interested in it we weren't together but something is in the wind isn't it what what i mean as someone who's profoundly experienced this you know, human transformation. What, what do you think is going
2: on? I think we've just had technology and the internet long enough to realise it's a bit shit. <laughs> but I think, um, like initially, it's so exciting. It's like when you get Word, when you get Microsoft Word, you've got like 20 colours and all these fonts, and it's like, wow, and you think, actually, that's horrible. So you go back to black on white. Um, so I think there's an element of that. Um, but I agree with James. It's fundamental. Like, I mean, you. I know you have, don't do the good life on your own, but you guys deserve so much applause for what you're doing here. Because when I'm here, like my children don't say, "Can I have?" They say, "Can I make?" Yeah. And like, as a parent, you're like gambling through the daisy field, feeling joy when you get that, <laughs> because you're just watching. Like, we haven't we haven't used our phones or anything like that. So I, I definitely think that. I think it's a backlash. I think any new technology you just embrace it to the point where you realize novelty's gone and then you rely on it for where it is genuinely useful and uh, in making is so
0: much more exciting
2: than making screens.
0: i mean you, you've talked quite um eloquently earlier about this um thing of children not being frightened of making and, um, and i'd like to sort of open this up to the floor in a few minutes time but do um either of you have you investigated or do you have any theories about how you and your new course and your new collaboration might be able to connect with younger people I mean have you have you thought about that or is that not something that's sort of on your horizon
1: yeah I I think um it's something that um from our perspective as as a business we've been trying to trying to toy with as much as we can like trying to see how we can do that because because kids have this um they haven't been told these stories. They haven't believed the stories of they can't do things. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what most of us face as adults: is you feel like you can't do certain things, and therefore you just avoid them. And actually, so connecting with kids is—it would be brilliant for us to just show them that this is an option. This is something you can do. Um, and I, and I love that when we sometimes have young kids who come through the workshop course. I think for making circles, like 13 is the youngest we've had. And but to see what. Like they're just like the wor- I I got the world in front of me. Like it's incredible to see their ability to, to take that on board and I think And it's can you make a can you
0: make a sort of ready distinction like Dan did between their way of making and, and a
1: grown-up's way of making? Yeah, they they it's more like play. It's more there's there's not the fear of of not doing it. It's it's really interesting, you do see it really clearly. <laughs> Um, even, I think we had some brothers in one where the 13-year-old came with a 16-year-old brother. Completely different approaches because he was that little bit older, he had this idea of what it should be. Whereas the 13-year-old was just there. He just, he, there was no, you know, he was in the world of, well this is today, that's it. Um, and I think there was such a beauty in that that was nice And And think. was
0: there, was there a, uh, I mean I'm not sure where I'm going with this question, but was there a distinction between the end result of the more self-conscious 16-year-old and the 13-year-old or not?
1: The process was clearly yeah. different, so
0: maybe the joy was different.
1: But yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the outcome is they they end up with a beautiful, functional circle, which is kind of the the, pr- the, the reason we have our process. Um, but could you see so a difference? Were, yeah, you know, was
0: was the thirteen year olds just a more fluid kind of?
1: Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It was in he. I think he was willing to be more creative. So when it came to mark making at the end, he wanted to spend some time and take some time to to kind of to wrap it up really. Succinctly, whereas I think the 16 year old was much more subconscious of how I want to finish this and what I want. It was really yes, interesting to see intriguing. that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I mean, I, I, I mean, yeah. you know, it doesn't mean that we have to learn early, but it would be good to learn early, wouldn't it? I um, Anyway, I mean, I I think. Listen, I mean, I I don't know if anyone would like to kind of open this discussion up a bit, but I mean, we've got sort of 10 minutes to. If, if anyone has, I mean, let's frame those questions. Um, so. Um, we haven't got a stage manager here, have we? Um, and we can't move because they're all wired up. Do you mind a, minute, a slightly different approach? Yeah, we'll, we'll share this one. Yeah. Okay, I've got a question. You've mentioned one part about perfectionism, rather you know, perfectionism you alluded to, Charlie, but you've also mentioned play. And those things seem to be at different ends of the spectrum, and how do you reconcile mm-hmm. that? They're not at different ends of the spectrum at all. <laughs> because I think that perfectionism has been cast as some notion of sort of anality. <clears throat> my perfection means that I love this place being completely ravaged, but I don't want any litter on it, not any litter. Yeah. So they're not, they're not mutually exclusive, I think. I think perfectionism is seen as, as, you know, almost kind of everything having to be super neat or whatever. Yeah. But I think, in my case, I think they can take totally different things. So, so that's. I mean, does that make is that an answer? Do you think, or not? It's wrong, but I, I, find if I'm starting with something and I do make things, I, I'd set, I tend to set myself to. Well, I've got a goal, but it's 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 quite high up there. Okay, I so the, I would, yeah, the question is would that um, from, yes, very yeah. interesting. Okay, so the point about perfectionism that the gentleman is making is this idea that, you know, it's very hard if you set yourself the idea that you've got to make the perfect chair or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, ha, that, that's, I mean, do you want to talk about
1: that? Yeah, it's something that's wrong to mind that Dan talks about Plato's theory of the infinite yeah. universes. Um, but also, from my perspective, uh, I got caught up on that like, when I was younger, um, and you'd end up beating yourself up about it when you're making things, because you, 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 you as a maker can always see the bits you do differently. Um, but by the time you call it finished, the world sees it as your idea of perfect. So it's a really strange kind of self-conscious thing to suddenly, you draw the line on when something's finished. And even, it was just last week, uh, I was thinking about why, for me, I hate that, that fear of like, saying something's finished is to put it out into the world. And it's it's perceived as your idea of perfect. And actually, I'm trying to learn how to be friends with the idea of finishing something, because actually that's the start of the next one. Like actually, it's just part of this big process. And I think that's what perfectionism is, is actually, trying to keep doing things better and, better and better and better and like there's no there is no end to that so
2: there's a really interesting uh, comparison with that with writing because i approached making a surfboard from the point of view of somebody that writes um and like you never finish writing a book at some point you're just forced to let go of it and you're only really um, like qualified to write a book once you've already published it and you kind of look at it and you just can't even bear to see it because of all the things you now wish you would put in so what that means is that you are, completely at, you are completely at one with the idea that you'll never be perfect. And that perfection is the, you know, it's the thing you're aiming for, and this is what flow states are. You'll never be perfect at it. I used to love skateboarding, and I was never going to be the perfect skateboarder, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't spend nine hours outside trying to do one trick. So I think perfectionism is like the bait. It's the bait that gets you in the room um, to constantly fail and not
0: do it well enough but it doesn't matter because it is about doing it for the sake of doing it okay inter- great question and 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 two very very good answers actually anyone else got something they'd like to yeah oh sorry will you take my anyone else got something they'd like to to ask <coughs> thanks sarah uh, listening to you it sounds like right.
2: So particularly for people who have grown up that way, which is which is great.
0: You know, how practical is it think, a way to make a living? Um, and, I, and great if it's a hobby. But yes. it sounds like some people want to make a living at it or you think people can make a living at it in the world we live in, where, okay, cynics would say a lot of this masculine stuff is garbage, a lot of it is, but there are people. Yep. Furniture, yes, I does mean, yeah. it get mass-produced and can be produced cheaply, so is it really practical? I, okay, so I, that's an interesting question. Did everyone hear that, you know, how practical is it to make a living out of making things? My answer would be that I think it depends how willing society is to pay for the things that you make. Um, there are a number of people here, um, someone who I occasionally give a bit of advice to, you will often say, or you would say at one point, Mark, I can't make sell my bag for that because my friends won't buy it for that. To which my answer is, well then you, you definitely have not got a business. I think that the, you know we have to have a, 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 a conversation in society about where we put our value. And so my answer to that would be that you have, and I, I, although I'm not a maker, I've had made and sold loads and loads and loads and loads of things throughout my career for various businesses. And we still sell food and things that you know. I think you've got to change the value perception, and and then you can make a living. And you've got, I mean, you know, to make a. I think the the myth might be that you can just make beautiful things and make a living. I think that my experience would be that it's more about making beautiful things and also being a damn good business person as well. And, And 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 that's about that awful thing margin. You know, I mean you so you can you, you know my experience you can make a living now here is someone
1: who does so you yeah i think i think your point about value is incredibly correct because if if we break down like the price of our surfboards in terms of other surfboards they're the top end um but actually when we break down the hourly rate we're paying ourselves somewhere between 15 and 20 pounds an hour now you'll pay a plumber double that they're, they're still making, they're still using their hands and creating something, but there's an idea of a value on the service they provide, which you don't get in the craft world. The craft world, it's it's kind of like, it's bridging into the artist world where it's kind of okay to struggle, and it's like society accepts that, oh, well, artists and craftspeople struggle. It's okay that they don't live well. Um, and that's difficult, I've, I've, I've I, you know, I'm in that, and that's, that's incredibly difficult, like we, still every month we don't know if we're gonna be able to pay rent and stuff, so it, it yeah, that doesn't change. But you're right, to frame it in a way to make a business out of it is, is the only way to then make a living from it.
2: Yeah, I mean, the average, the average author earns £14,000 a year, and if you take out the top 10% JK Rowling's of this world, it drops to £4,000 a year. So you haven't been able to earn a living as a writer for a very long time. Um, I mean, no writers I know write only, for, don't just write for a living, they kind of do all kinds of other things.
0: But your company is, is trying to rebalance
2: yeah, we're trying to do that, but we operate in a marketplace. I mean, it, you know, value is a massive and fascinating subject. You know, I can read a book that changes my life, and it costs me less than a cup of coffee. Like, that is nuts. Um, so there's all kinds of things around that, the value system. I, on the way down, I was listening to a podcast about this. Um, this will come back to the point. There's a guy who is um, running for president in the States. And the whole of his campaign is based on universal universal basic income, where every single person, if he get, becomes president in the States, will get $1,000 a month. Because it just takes away the jeopardy of living and allows you to do other things. And he talks about a guy who he's basically out of his own pocket. He's paying this to some people. And there's one of the guys in, in Mississippi who he's pa- he pays this money to. Spent one month, spent the money on a guitar, because he always used to play the guitar. And now he's been invited to join a band, and he's playing in pubs, and he's earning more money. So I think the answer is a political answer. I'm, I'm like universal basic income all the way because it takes that, it lifts that benchmark and gives everybody a, a chance. You're not going to live like a king or whatever, um, but it just gives every human a chance to live a human life and then you can be more creative and you can spend more money on your surfboard or whatever. Um, you don't get exploited. I'm sound like a politician. But I think something really radical about uh, the way we value our life and money, because it's all about money in the end. We have to change something about the way we relate with money, and that is the best idea I've heard for a long, long time.
0: Um, OK, well thank you so much, James and Dan, um, for a wonderful evening Thank you, That's it. I'm actually sitting underneath a, an open window at Glendie as I record this, and um, it's raining again. After one of the driest summers on record, it doesn't seem to have stopped raining um, for the last week or so, and the river's swollen, and the fog is rolling in in the morning and evening, and I have to say, I love it. Anyway, thank you very much to you for listening. Thanks to my friend Jim Friend. Thanks to Dan and James, and thank you to all of you who came along to the Good Life Experience this year. I will see you soon, thanks, bye.